Jack Spearco with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 590 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Wednesday, at least for you. It's a Friday for me. I'm pre-recording this show to make sure while I'm at the bug-out location, getting it ready to turn it into a permanent residence, uh, you guys still have a show. And what are we going to do a show about today? Uh, we are going to do a show about uh, herbal actions. This is the third in the four-part series about uh, 40 different herbal actions. Remember, herbal actions are the things that an herb does. Uh, so you'll read a, about a particular herb in a guide, and it might say something like it's an adaptogen. And if you've listened to last week's show, then uh, I, I actually I think that's one of today's terms. Uh, yeah, adaptogen is one of today's show, uh, show, show's terms. But some words that you may remember from uh, prior episodes would have been things like a tonic. By now you should know what a tonic herb is and what that means, what it does. Uh, and, and of course there's a lot of other herbal actions we've covered. Today we're going to cover ten more of them. That'll take us two-thirds through the series and you'll find out what an adaptogen is in just a minute after we get done taking care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one is always, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Make sure the show's available for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Uh, always available by free download at the Survival podcast.com or on iTunes. Uh, sponsor of the day number one today is Ready Made Resources. Uh, Ready Made Resources, a long term sponsor, man. They've been around, uh, they're probably one of the, I'd say they're the top, you know, first four sponsors uh, that we ever had. They've been around that long. They've done a great job. They've worked really hard to make sure they took care of our audience and they provide you exactly what you need for your preps. That's why they call themselves Ready Made Resources. All the resources you need to be prepared for the unexpected, ready made and ready to go. All you do is point, click, order them and they show up at your house. How cool is that? And I mean, they do have everything from gardening supplies to long-term storage food to one of the most extensive solar uh, solar catalogs I've ever seen as far as solar panels and things like that. It's absolutely amazing the stuff you can get from ready-made resources. Make sure you check them out. Sponsor of the day number two today is a sponsor I was so glad to bring on uh, in, in the late part of last year, and I hope they stay with us for a long time because they're a, a sponsor that we need to have here. I would imagine the majority of this audience is really big on the Second Amendment and firearms ownership. I know I have a lot of people uh, that write into me that uh, they've owned weapons their entire life, guns and weapons their entire life. Uh, they grew up shooting and hunting and, and training. We've got people that are really tactical that go to school. We've got people that are going out and buying that first gun, you know, after finding the show and after really understanding what what a part of our lives as Americans that that really is. But do you know what a gun without ammunition is? A very expensive club. And you can get a club a hell of a lot cheaper than buying a gun. So if you're going to get a gun, you need ammo. That's why you need to go over to BulkAmmo.com for some of the best deals on common calibers you'll ever find. I mean, it's the stuff like 9mm, uh, 40, 40 Smith & Wesson, 45 ACP, 223 or 5.56, depending on how you want to designate it. All of the real common rifle calibers, 308, 3006, that stuff, you'll find deals over there you will not believe. And remember, if you are part of the member support brigade, when you're buying large quantities of ammo, you get yourself free ammo can't so make sure you swing by the brigade and get your discount code for that 
before you go order your ammunition. Last but not, or not last but not least, because we got one. This is the last day you can win a copy of Lights Out uh, by David Crawford, hand-signed and autographed by David, sent directly to you. Um, the way you do this is you send me an email in the subject line of the email you include today. I'm not going to make you go to the site. Remember, the lights went out. One thing that can make the lights go out and stay out is an EMP, so that's the code word for today. You send me an email. In the subject line, put EMP, those three letters, all together like it's a word, EMP, no spaces. Uh, do not put any other words there or we'll get filtered out and it'll be the wrong place and you won't get entered. Put your name and your shipping address in the body of the email. If you win, we will send you a book. Uh, if you do not win a book, I'm also giving away two free members, support brigade memberships uh, with this contest as well so that more than one person wins each day. Um, if you, if you don't worry about sending that shipping address, folks, because as soon as this is over, I uh, delete all the emails and they go away anyway. We only use them if we need to ship you a book, and that way we don't have any problems tracking you down because of spam filtering and whatnot. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members, and I'll leave it at that today. You guys know about the Members Brigade by now, but if you think the show's worth 20 cents an episode, consider joining it, and you'll get a great return of investment. Well, let's get into today's show, and, and you know, we're again talking about herbal actions once a week, four weeks in a row. Obviously, I think this is important. I want to talk a little bit about, again, why I'm doing this, these shows on the actions. I bring herbs into, like I'm going to tell you about some herbs today that you've heard about a bunch of times already. That, that had other actions, that, that also have these actions. Uh, you know, things like dandelion, calendula, sage, St. John's worth, thyme, oregano, basil, garlic, uh, black pepper, uh, echinacea, planted. Those are all herbs we're going to talk about again today. These shows are really not about the herbs themselves. They're more about understanding what herbs can do. See, if we understand the primary herbal actions, if we understand, like today we're going to talk about uh, adaptogen, antacid, antimicrobial, uh, antiseptic, and, and some other ones. If we understand these, then we know what herbs can do for us. And we also become better students because this show is not designed, and none of this, no matter what I do on this show with herbs, will it ever be designed so you can listen to me and that's all you've done, and then you have a medical emergency or a medical situation, and now you're going to go treat yourself with herbs individually. That's not what it's designed to do. My show is an hour a day. It's informational. Hopefully it's educational and entertaining. It's designed to make you aware of things so that you, when it comes to putting something in your body or on your body or using something that you would ingest so that you are better suited to educate yourself, to ask the right questions if you consult a professional or to do your own self-study with good quality uh, reference books. So my disclaimer once again... Whatever I tell you today, before you take action, and if you have any question whatsoever with what you're doing, consult a professional or consult a good reference manual. Uh, I've gotten some people writing me these hardly concerned emails. You said you could use rue, and rue could kill you. Okay, well, if you eat a couple big handfuls of rue every day for a while, yeah, it'll probably kill you. And it's so bitter, I think you'd puke before you did that. Um, but just because I mentioned an herb on these shows doesn't mean it's something you can use with abandon. Now, within each action, I've tried to look for the safest, most common, readily available herbs with some variety in between the different actions so that it'll help you reinforce your learning. So when I'm telling you herbs like sage and calendula and, and, and uh, uh, parsley and thyme, oregano and basil, these are foods. So obviously you can use large amounts of them without anything to concern. But if we start talking about something like yarrow or rue 
or uh, you know some of the other stuff that we may talk about. Uh, there is you know comfrey. There's limitations to how much you can safely use. This is why you've got to consult a good quality guide on herbals. I have several books. I won't mention them again because I've already mentioned them in the two prior broadcasts. There will be links in today's show notes. Uh, my book list is published online. You have everything that I recommend as far as herbals is listed there. And uh, if you're not taking those additional steps, you've got a problem. One book I'm recommending is about interactions with drugs and, and other supplements. You need to have a book like that if you're going to make any decisions on your own without consulting a doctor. You probably should consult a doctor or a master herbalist. Not some guy that put up a sign on the street that says herbalist. Somebody with a legitimate credential when you go into using anything other than the common, generally safe uh, herbs. All right. So no one get upset. No one email me and tell me how dangerous comfrey is ever again. Because right? I'm I, when I get these emails, I'm wondering if they just read the show notes and didn't listen to the show. All right, so disclaimer again, done. I also want you to understand again, as we go through the actions, it's about, I want you to start training your mind to realize what would you need these actions for? And how, and the bigger thing is how can this stuff be used as prevent, prevention? So that you understand that when you, when you grow a, a good quality herb garden full of safe culinary herbs, herbs that we all use for cooking, pot herbs, seasoning herbs, and things like that, and we cook with them and we include them in our salads and we do these things, we're actually practicing preventive medicine. And this is something we've largely lost touch with as a society. Last I've said it before, I will say it again uh, when I do the last one in this series. Um, it is really important when you get involved with herbals that you understand that it's not about practicing replacement therapy. It's not about, well, I would use this antibiotic uh, from a pharmacy, so instead I'm going to use this herb. Or if I had a headache, I would take an aspirin, so instead I'm going to use willow bark. This replacement therapy attitude really doesn't make herbs much better than drugs. And most drugs come from either some synthesized, synthesized version of a plant uh, or the plant itself with some kind of direct extraction. Herbs are drugs. In fact, all food is a drug. Food is a drug, plain and simple. If you don't think so, eat a great big pile of really dark rich chocolate and you'll have a euphoric feeling. Uh, now, will it be the same as, as meth? No. Is it, is it as dangerous as, as meth or cocaine or opiates? No. But food is a drug. Now, it's not a drug in the classic defined sense that makes it regulated as a drug. Thank God they haven't regulated our food as drugs yet. But understand that whenever you're putting something in your body with the potential to alter your state, in effect, it's a drug. And it's important that we understand that and we look at overall health rather than just illness and match to a medication. That's what doctors do, unfortunately. You know, you have this problem, I give you Lipitor. You know, I had an MD comment on the last episode. You know, some of these, and he listed all these herbs that I never listed or even mentioned on the air. And, and they you know, could cause liver damage and all. I'm like, well, what about Lipitor? What about the suicide caused by things like Paxil and Ritalin? You know, for every herbal uh, problem, I can show you a drug with a bigger problem. And that's, but, but we do need to understand all these things have limitations and all of these things do have risk. Pregnant and lactating women, you really need to think even deeper. And there's certain things you should never take. Again, check a good guide. All right, let's start going through our uh, different actions today. The first herbal action we're going to talk about today may be one of the most important ones to really understand. And that's because it is unique to herbs. Most of the ones I've given you so far, you can go find a drug 
Or if you look up the term, you can find modern pharmaceuticals that are useful for the same actions. An antacid would be a perfect example, right? Adaptogen, you're not going to find an equivalent. You just won't. Um, modern medicine doesn't think along the lines of an adaptogen. An adaptogen is a, an action that will increase the body's resistance and endurance to a wide variety of adverse influences from physical, chemical, and biological stressors, assisting the body's ability to cope and adapt. Now, this is not really like about enhancing the immune system with something like echinacea, right? I mean, um, in fact, echinacea is, is an herb that can be seen as an, an adaptogen, but it's not the same thing. There's, there's, you know, immune-boosting characteristics of herbs, but an adaptogen is more about an overall tonifying effect of the body. There's that word tonic again, whereby the body is better able to adapt to all things, whether it's cold or heat, whether it's dehydration or going without food. And it's not like you can take this stuff and become Superman, but what the adaptogen does, again, is assist the body's own innate ability to cope and adapt. So what I mean by that is we all have the ability to adapt to and cope with stress. If we didn't, we would die or we would just shut down and do nothing until we starve to death. One way or another, stress would get us if we didn't have the ability to adapt and cope with it. And I mean stress from a standpoint of mental, physical, emotional. And I also mean stress from the standpoint of um, atmospheric toxins and foodborne toxins. I've said this before in shows where I've talked about things where we get a little bit paranoid about, well, there could be a toxin in this or a toxin in that. Those plain old white button mushrooms you buy from a store, there's a toxin in there. There's a poison. It's such a small amount the body's able to adapt to it. Grapes generally have some trace amount of cyanide in them, just general grapes. Um, but we don't die from them. We don't get sick from them. You know, we, we are going to get paranoid and not eat a grape anymore because our body has an ability to cope with and adapt to toxins and stresses to a certain level. But there's a limitation. And one of the things that goes on in our daily lives is our bodies are constantly under attack from all types of things that are out there. We're, we're constantly breathing in air that has things in it that we would be better off if the air didn't have. We're constantly put into situations where things don't go our way. We have physical and emotional stress, but we don't break down and fall apart and crumble into a sobbing little mass of whimpering, well, you know, sissiness on the ground and sit there and quiver and wait for someone to come save us. We deal with it. But what we don't generally think of as human beings is the cumulative effect of these stressors, the chemical, the biological, the emotional, the spiritual, uh, the environmental, all of these little stressors on the body over time. It's a big part of what causes us to age. It's a big part of what causes us to be weakened to a point where we're susceptible to illnesses. There's times you see two people side by side, both about the same age, same weight, everything's the same. Uh, they're both exposed, obviously, to the flu because they're right next to each other. So if one was exposed, the other was exposed. One gets the flu, one doesn't. Or one gets it and doesn't even seem like they're even capable of spreading it, but they don't even know they have it. They just walk right through it. Why? Well, one's immune system is a better situation, but why is the immune system better? Many times it's because, and this is my opinion, but many times it's because the body itself is better handling stress at any given time. So the immune system itself is a byproduct works better, and everything else works better. Adaptogens are herbs and things that, in general, help the body with that process. So what are some adaptogenic herbs? Uh, number one would be ginseng, 
probably the most well-known and probably the best adaptogen there is, and that would include American and Asian, but American ginseng is generally considered uh, the stronger of the two and the, and the, the more uh, desirable of the two if you had a choice between the two. It's also the more expensive if you're buying it as a whole herb. Uh, the next one is, you won't even think of this as a mushroom, uh, or as, a, as an herb, because it's a mushroom, but, you know, we're, what we're talking about is things that are natural, that we can take, that grow, that we can use. So maybe it's not really an herb, but it's a great adaptogen, and it's a great immune stimulator, and that's reishi mushroom. Uh, reishi mushroom is, is a wonder food. And uh, shiitake as well, but reishi more than shiitake, both of which we can grow in dead logs using mushroom spawn in our backyard in a shady spot under a tree. So reishi and shiitake mushroom, and then another is an herb called valerian. And valerian is a relatively safe herb, but it is something that we're getting into a more active compound. It is something you should consult with somebody or at least research and understand its limits. Get it out of a book before you use it. Don't treat valerian uh, like parsley. I'm just going to put it to that to you that way. But those are three great ones, ginseng, reishi mushroom, and valerian. There's some other ones that are a little bit more of, again, an active compound. They need a little bit more caution with use, so I'm not putting them on today's show. But just understand that there are herbs and there are things that we can take that aren't direct immunostimulants, but they literally enhance the body's ability to adapt to stress. These are things that we will need in a societal breakdown. A long-term societal breakdown. Our bodies are going to be under a lot more emotional, spiritual, physical, chemical, biological stress. And if we can cultivate our own ginseng, cultivate our mushrooms, uh, have stockpiles of this stuff, whatever it takes, we're going to be a lot better off. Uh, the next one is something that, when I say it, 99% of people listening will know exactly what it is. And uh, will have probably purchased products to, 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 to do this action and won't realize that there's things that we could use in our daily diet that would act in the same way in a much safer, much healthier way to control this problem. And that's antacid. And antacid neutralizes excess acid in the stomach uh, in the intestinal tract. Helps us with heartburn. Now, here's the problem that most people have with over-the-counter antacids, for instance. They eat something and it causes uh, excessive acid and maybe it causes some reflux where the, the acid actually comes up out of the stomach into the esophageal area, up into the esophagus. And then they have what they call heartburn. It kind of feels like it's burning up in that area around your heart. Well, your heart's not burning. It's just the area you're in. It's actually the tube goes from your throat down to your stomach. Or maybe it's just in the stomach itself you have excess acid. And even if you don't get to a point to an ulcer, it starts to give you some discomfort. Eventually, it can break down the, uh, the the mucus walls of the stomach and begin to create an ulcer. And that you can have ulcerations in your stomach. You can have them in the esophagus, and you can have them in the intestine. So, <clears throat> I'm having a problem with excess acid. So, uh, I, I feel a little, little bit of, of a heartburn going on. By the time I feel that, by the time I feel that, it's it's already really causing me some damage because there's acid in my stomach all the time. It's had to wear away the protection. Before I feel the discomfort, or it's had to get out of the stomach before I feel the discomfort. It really has to do a lot of damage before I start to feel it in my intestinal walls. So now I'm doing what I'm doing with an antacid like a uh, a chalky agent like Tums is I'm just neutralizing the acid. I'm bringing its its acidity down. I'm throwing a base into it. And, and the problem with that is as soon as that cycles through my body and I eat something else, 
Well, my acid level goes right back up. And eventually, I can almost get a rebound effect off of this, where the more antacids I use, the, the stronger the acid the stomach produces and the more damage it does. So by heading this off before it happens, I'm much better off. So there's certain things that I can make part of my diet that will have an antacid effect without having that wide swinging uh, action that a Tums or a Rolaids or, you know, a Prilosec or any of these over-the-counter meds or prescription medications uh, that, that people use to control acid um, have. It's a much more natural way where we just, we instead of really neutralizing things, we're controlling the excess acid in the first place. So what can I put in my diet to do that? How about something we've heard of so many times now? And I could put this one in so many uh, actions. Uh, probably at least half uh, I could put include this one. But I'm going to include it here again to make a point of how common things are and how we take things, or we, we, we look a gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. Dandelion. Dandelion, especially the leaf and the blossoms, have a great antacid effect. And if we make that part, of, we make dandelion greens part of our salad, you know, we've already talked about how it stimulates digestion and, and it helps improve secretions from the liver and the gallbladder, but it also has an antacid effect. And it's just weed that we, we, we hate in America. A wonder drug, really. I hate to call it a drug because anything that's a drug, regulated, that type of thing, but really it's a wonder plant maybe is a better way to look at it. Again, the two... My top three, I'll tell you. Calendula, dandelion, garlic. I mean, those are just absolutely dynamite. And here we see dandelion again. Another great one for antacid effect, and a unique flavor enhancer, is fennel. Fennel is something that looks almost like celery. Most people never buy it. They see it in the store. Really easy to grow. Uh, just absolutely phenomenally easy to grow. Has kind of a licorice, anise-like flavor to it. But just a little bit of fennel. Uh, in, in, in something we're cooking or in a little bit of a side dish prior to eating our main meal, maybe sliced up raw, real thin in a salad. Again, a great antacid effect. And, and catnip. Catnip is not just for making, uh, uh, you know, tabby, uh, high for 13 and a half seconds before he gets bored with it. Catnip is a member of the mint family. It's a safe to use herb. It's basically a food. Uh, it's not something that has a great flavor for human beings, but a little bit of it added uh, to things. And actually, uh, it's a great one if you want an antacid effect, not by itself, but with something like, let's say, maybe peppermint uh, and chamomile for more of the flavor aspects added to an herbal tea to help with antacid. Again, this is not replacement therapy. This is understanding the actions. The next one is antimicrobial. We could also call that antibacterial or antiviral. These are anything uh, that will kill, uh, you know, it will basically kills the wrong word. The right way to phrase this is that these types of this action helps the body's immune system destroy uh, or resist the proliferation of pathogenic microorganisms. In other words, by directly killing on some levels and improving the body's own immunoresponse, your body is able to do its own job better and fight off uh, bacteria or viruses or any other type of microbial that in general uh, are considered harmful to the body. Right. So uh, this is important that we understand because this really drives home the use of herbals, and natural healing as a whole. 
This is the way the average modern person thinks. And we're going to not talk about the abuse of an antibiotic here. We're going to talk about the proper use of an antibiotic. I get sick. Um, I have a, a bacterial uh, infection that's causing me chest congestion in, in, in my lungs. And um, we call it bronchitis, right? So I have a bacterial form of bronchitis. And I go to the doctor, and he gives me ampicillin or penicillin or tetracycline or whatever antibiotic he gives me. I take that, and I get better. So the way that modern medicine tends to think, but they really know better, they just don't explain it. And the way the average person getting the prescription tends to think is the antibiotic kills the bacteria, and therefore I get better. But it's not it's such a simplistic view. What happens is the antibiotic reduces the number of the bacteria to a more manageable level where your own immunoresponse immuno, immuno can now kill off the rest and go into recovery. Because you have bacteria and viruses in your body at all times. You're constantly exposed to pathogens. Yet you're not constantly sick. You're not constantly killing over and dying. And this is why if a person has a condition where their, their immune system doesn't function properly, you know, like Bubble Boy. Remember the, the, the movie about Bubble Boy back in the 70s? If you're Bubble Boy, no matter how much antibiotic uh, uh, that you're given, and no matter how effective that antibiotic would be against a given bacteria, you can never fight it off, and it'll kill you, and that's why they have to live in sterile conditions. It's always your own immune system that does the real work. And then here's the interesting thing about antibacterial, antiviral, antimicrobial. Those three actions are really one and the same. Uh, and, and, you know, some people will get technical and say, well, an antibacterial kills bacteria and an antiviral kills viruses. And when we look at most drugs, that's the case. When we look at most herbs, an herb that has antiviral action will generally also have antibacterial action. That's why they get lumped together more in, in herbology. And not... Perf, not as a perfect world, but in general, many herbs, I'd say the majority of herbs, especially if we look at using things like their essential oils, have antibacterial, antiviral actions. And I'm going to give you, instead of three this time, I'm going to give you five herbs that are all antimicrobials. And when you hear them, you're going to realize, again, I keep going back to that herb garden for culinary herbs in your backyard, how if we're constantly using fresh herbs in our cooking and not really thinking about the medicinal effect, we're getting very good preventive medicine on a daily basis. So what are they? Think about your classic herb garden. Parsley, thyme, oregano, basil, and garlic. All five of those are great antibacterials. And, you know, we could add to that or replace garlic in there with a more... Because garlic's more of a, something we cook with. and I guess it's less of an herb in the mind of many people and more of a... almost like a vegetable. More like an onion you would look at, right? So it's got a bulb and you don't really just chop it up. So what if we replace the garlic there with with uh, chives? And, and we do both uh, onion and garlic chives in our herb garden. Uh, they have very similar antimicrobial uh, factor. So... This is what I'm getting at. Again, you're constantly using these things. You make your garden full of these, these common herbs, thyme, parsley, oregano, basil, and garlic. Come on. Those, you, can, you can cook with those in just almost everything you do, and especially if you add them toward the end or sprinkle them fresh on the warmed food at the end instead of cooking all the potency out of them, you're constantly getting this little tiny gentle assistance in your body fighting off these diseases. 
Now, does that mean if you include those herbs in your daily diet, you're never going to get sick? No. What it does mean is that the person that has a diet consisting of these things is probably going to be more suited to fight off the infections that do come their way and is probably going to be infected less often. Or infected to the point where it actually causes them true uh, discomfort or slows them down more often. We can all get sick. I've been sick for like two weeks with some crud my wife brought home. You guys can hear it in my voice. But I feel that I'm getting through it much better uh, using some herbal things, uh, including uh, Dr. Kyle Christensen's anti-plague syrup, which tastes god-awful, but I, I really think that I've made a lot more progress uh, coming through this crud than my son, who seemed to get it about the same time, has. Because um, he doesn't want to try it. doesn't want to do it. He says it tastes bad. He'd rather drink NyQuil. Um, I'll stick to the herbals with this. But again, antimicrobial, antibacterial, antiviral, uh in the herb world, not in the drug world, but in the herb world, we kind of think of them all in the same classification. And most herbs have some level of antibacterial or antimicrobial uh, property to them. The next one is antiseptic. Now, an antiseptic we would often think of as very similar to an antimicrobial or antibacterial. Um, but an antiseptic, when we think about it, it's more about external use. And, you know, the, the, the medical dictionary version of the, the definition would be prevents or eliminates sepsis. Prevents or eliminates sepsis. So what is sepsis? What the hell is sepsis? You know, it's a, it's a kind of a, you know, a, you know a, what do you call it, an ER? Or what's, what's the one they all watch now? Gray's Anatomy word. You get the patient has sepsis. Well, what's that mean? Uh, what it means is infectious destructive condition of the tissue. It means you got to cut and it's got pus in it. That's sepsis. So an antiseptic is something we would use more in a topical arrangement to either prevent that 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 infection or to eliminate it. And in many condition conditions, the things that have these antiseptic qualities also have another one we've already talked about. Remember that one of vulnerary. Uh, remind you, kind of a, a refresher here, I guess. Uh, a vulnerary is something that assists the body to heal wounds and is often used externally. Here's some vulnerary herbs from the, from the first episode that we did on this series, calendula, comfrey, and plantain. Um, look for a little bit of variation here for you, but some, um, some uh, antiseptic herbs are calendula, sage, St. John's wort, and comfrey. And, and you, you, you're going to find that um, your, most of your vulnerarys and your antiseptics are going to have overlap, and most of these herbs have multiple actions. But the vulnerary is more about aiding healing and, and in many ways drawing out. The vulnerary will often be used to draw the infection out. Where the antiseptic is more about killing it, okay, and, uh, and preventing it in the first place by creating an environment where it's hard for, uh, this infection to, to live and spread. And, and most of the herbs that, that work one way also have the other action. So it's dual action from a single herb. But again, calendula is one, you know, I, I guess it would be hard. I, I said it would be, uh, what did I say? It would say calendula, um, garlic, and uh, dandelion. I guess comfrey would be, you know, the other one. It would be hard for me to pick a top three. Uh, but calendula and comfrey are both great for drawing out infection, but they're also great at having an antiseptic uh, action that help to create an environment where it's hard for it to live. So calendula and comfrey. Calendula, again, remember, it's called pot marigold is a common name as well. It's a beautiful uh, orange flower. And uh, 
It provides uh, a great deal of beauty. It's an edible flower. The blossoms are great in salads. They're good as a saffron substitute for making rice. I mean, there's so many things you can do with it. And yet here again we are with uh, calendula providing antiseptic action. But then think about this, sage. Sage is so easy to grow. You damn near can't kill it. It grows in deserts. Provides a pretty flower as well. Great for cooking. Wonderful with turkey and any kind of poultry uh, to make a rub for, for any type of poultry. But it, we also have an antiseptic action. St. John's wort. We usually think of St. John's wort as a mood enhancer, uh, an antidepressant. And, and it has that action. But the oils in the plant itself have an antiseptic action. So we start to see, start to see how we can get all these relatively safe, uh, general, uh, either food grade or just maybe something we have to be a little bit more careful with herbs. We get all of these actions from, and we can really grow a backyard, not with a thousand herbs, but with a few dozen and a core of about ten, where we're, we have access to so many things if we'll just uh, learn a little bit more about them and keep increasing our knowledge over time. Okay, the next one I'm not guaranteeing the pronunciation to be accurate with. I'm going to do the best I can with it. It's Cholagog. C-H-O-L-A-G-O-G-U-E. Cholagog. What is Cholagog? Cholagog means it promotes the discharge and flow of bile from the gallbladder. And gog, G-O-G-U-E, actually means flow. That's so, so cholagog is increasing the flow of bile from the gallbladder. And uh, why would you want to do that? Well, the gallbladder aids with digestion. It aids with overall digestive system health. D digestive system health. And what you'll find is a lot of the herbs that uh, increase the flow and, and effectiveness of secretions from the liver and, and from the, the, the rest of the, the body and the things that are digestive aids we've already talked about come back and they perform, again, double duty, and they also increase the flow of bile from the gallbladder. And uh, some, some common herbs that do this are dandelion, there we are again, turmeric, which we mentioned as a digestive aid before, and rosemary. So you start looking at these, and I want you to think about this, kind of your folk, uh, your folk food, you know, the stuff that you, you would just use country, country, uh, when you think old, uh, old America, turn of the century, cooking in the country and making greens and things like that, tossing some dandelion greens in there as just a general part of the diet as a whole, uh, aiding the diet, aiding the digestive system, and in, in, in this case specifically, helping with better flow of bile from the gallbladder and helping the overall digestive system that way. So we've got dandelion there. Turmeric, very uh, commonly used in Indian cuisines, used in almost everything you can think of. Uh, when you cook with Indian food, turmeric becomes like salt in America. You're going to use it. Now we move into the Mediterranean diet, and we've got rosemary. So we can look at different diets and see that there's this, this common digestive aid of herb being used there. And you start to realize that the people that created these cuisines and these, these regional ways that people eat started to settle on things based on not just taste and flavor and smell and aroma and all the other great things out of herbs, but a general better result 
from, from the food. Not having discomfort after you're eating. If you don't properly digest food, it leads to gas, it leads to bloating, it leads to uh, improper absorption of the food. So many of these things, the, these herbs that were being used as preventive medicine, weren't developed by herby, herbal, early herbalists that were acting as physicians, but were you know generated and figured out by the population itself. Not even really knowing what they were doing, they just knew that this turmeric made the food taste good, and nobody felt bad after they eat as long as you know, they run out of turmeric, and, and then you eat this and everybody feels a little bit bloated and a little bit uncomfortable. And then, okay, well, not only does the turmeric have this great flavor, it also has this digestive, positive digestive action. And you don't have to be a doctor to understand when this is part of my diet, I feel better. And when I take it out, I don't. And when we had a time, you know, when we lived in a world of limited resources where we couldn't just get stuff, when you ran out of something, you were acutely aware of it. And I think this is how a lot of early people, early is a stretch, a lot of people before the very modern era, a couple hundred years ago and back, were very in touch with these things without even maybe being able to fully articulate, articulate it. Um, and, and this is another example of that because uh, I guarantee you that none of these people were going around saying stuff like, uh, you know what, we need to make sure we put turmeric in our food or we may need to make sure we cook with rosemary because it's a great chalagog. We want to make sure that we're increasing the flow of bile from our gallbladder. Most of the people that were eating this way 200 years ago didn't even know there was a such thing as a gallbladder. Had no idea what it was. It's, it's still one of the, the, the least understood organs, uh, I think, of everything that's in our body. I mean, it's something we know we can live without. There's people that have their gallbladder removed. Everybody's heard of something called gallstones. So we can survive without it. But yet it plays an integral role in our lives. And if it's healthier, we're healthier. So I, I want you to kind of always be looking for the way that these different herbal actions spread into cooking and, and into daily life of people before everything came, you know, in a plastic bag. Just always think back, and the fact that all of these herbs were so much more commonly used, not just when we're cooking something special, not just when we're read them, reading them out of a recipe book, but some of these herbs that were specific to certain diets were literally used every single day, freshly picked or dried and, and, and freshly ground onto the food. The next one is, uh, this is another one that I'll do the best I can, diaphoretic diaphoretic. Diaphoretic is something that increases uh, perspiration. It dilates your capillaries, your small blood vessels. It increases the elimination of toxins through the skin. In other words, it makes you sweat. Okay, so it, it makes your small blood vessels contract and it makes you sweat. And that makes you take toxins out of your body through the normal perspiration process. I think a lot of folks aren't really aware of how much we eliminate toxins through perspiration. Uh, we eliminate a lot of toxin through perspiration. It's not just through urine and feces. There's also, you know, again, not pleasant dinner conversation, but it's a reality. If we can't take care of, uh, of our, uh, of our sanitary needs and we can't effectively produce urine, we will die. I mean, that's why some people are on dialysis. Because it's important that we have a way to eliminate those toxins through urine. And the same thing with our, our solid waste. But a lot of our toxins are simply excreted from the body through sweat. And there's certain places where toxins get into our bodies where it's not really easy to get rid of them 
through the, the methods that we generally think of, you know, the bathroom stuff. So there's times where if we just want a general detox, we want to just get stuff out of us, one way to do that is through, you know, colon cleansing, and there's herbs that do that and all. But another way is simply a good old-fashioned sweat. We can do that a lot of ways. We can go out and run a couple miles and just get the heart rate up, and that's good for our cardiovascular system and get stuff out of us. But if we're eating things that, that, that cause this process to be accelerated or to maybe occur at times when we're not even really, you know, exercising, we increase that toxic, uh, That, that, getting those toxins out of our body through this natural process. I mean, again, I want to always refer back to that. The stuff we're doing with herbs is not about super pills or, you know, trying to make something happen that doesn't normally happen. It's about aiding with the things that our body does all the time and making our body operate at an optimum level rather than at a sufficient level. And that's the problem. Most of us are walking around with our bodies operating at what you would call a sufficient level. And I don't mean sufficient like as oh, good. I mean sufficient as we don't fall over and die today, so it was sufficient to get us through the day. But over time, our bodies are being worn down. Again, that's what we started out with adaptogen today. Being worn down by all these stressors. And the more we can do to keep it finely tuned and optimum, And that doesn't mean being, you know, a great athlete like Lance Armstrong or something like that. It's about having just your processes as a human functioning the way that they're supposed to. And again, using diaphoretic uh, herbs as part of our daily use is a preventive thing that we can do to keep that as an ongoing basis, not really uh, responding to the acute necessarily. So what are some diaphoretic herbs? Chamomile, lavender, lemon balm. How about that? Right? I mean, it, it's it, again, these are things that we've talked about so many times already. Chamomile, lavender, and, and mint tea at night before you go to bed. And, and it gives you calm and relaxing, settles your stomach. There's all these great things. And lemon balm is a mint, so obviously mint would do the same thing as well. So we could make a tea with chamomile, lemon balm, and uh, lavender, which would be a great relaxing tea. And at the same time, we're helping our body's natural process of detoxification because perspiring doesn't always have to be ringing, soaking, uncomfortably wet and smelly. You're constantly perspiring. Your body constantly perspires, but it perspires at a very low rate. So that there's enough time for the air to literally evaporate the perspiration as it's, as it's perspired. When we excessively perspire, that's when we end up where we're wet. And that's an additional cooling effect on the body. But it's also additionally removing more toxins. That's why it's good to do it once in a while. So we can use these types of herbs in conjunction with exercise if we do it safely. And again, you have to consult a book, an herbalist, what have you. I'm not an herbalist. I'm not giving you medical advice here. But we can use them that way or we can use them very gently and very passively. You know, And some other things that have diaphoretic action, again, garlic, cayenne pepper. Black pepper, things that we cook with on an ongoing basis. Rosemary has a diaphoretic action. The next one is a diuretic. A diuretic is one that a lot of folks will know, especially if you've ever looked at diet pills. Because a diuretic is something that increases the flow of urine. And, I mean, it doesn't really require much more explanation than that, right? It increases the flow of urine. Now, some people use this to try to lose weight, and they do it in a very foolish manner as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if, you, if you lose a lot of weight by increasing your flow of urine with diuretics, all you're doing is dehydrating the body and losing water weight. So, unfortunately, the reason that many people know 
the term is for a reason that's not really very beneficial to our health at all. Why would we want to take a diuretic? What is the purpose of a diuretic? Well, generally you're used for conditions, and this is like a, acute uses where we're using a, a, a medical diuretic, something, uh, a drug that is very aggressive in its action. It would be used to treat something like heart failure. You have congestive heart failure. You're retaining fluid around the lungs and the heart. And you need to do a better job of eliminating fluid, uh, liver cirrhosis, uh, high blood pressure sometimes. High blood pressure patients will be on diuretics. The reduced uh, the excessive fluid, and that, of course, reduces pressure. Uh, people with kidney diseases that are having problems uh, uh, passing urine sufficiently in the first place, a diuretic will increase that urine flow and therefore uh, reduce the overall load. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to comment one way or another on the use of diuretics in medicine. But what I'm telling you, um, my opinion of the best purposes of the diuretic actions in uh, herbs is not, well, we're going to replace your congestive heart failure medication. If you have congestive heart failure, you need to be under the care of a physician, period. But what we do know is that since urine is one of the three primary methods, actually four primary methods, that we get toxins out of the body, um, it's important that we do it properly. And that your four primary methods are your breath, okay, your perspiration, your urine, and your feces. Again, not happy dinner conversation, but that's how we get toxins out of the body. And should any of those fail, we literally die of poisoning. We quickly die of poisoning uh, from you know, breath. You don't, we don't think of that as a, a toxin eliminator. It eliminates a lot of toxins, but the chief one is the one that they tell us is warming the planet, CO2. Uh, if you have too much CO2 saturation in your body, you go to sleep and you die. Uh, well, your respiration, your breath is how you eliminate that. Well, the, you know, the, 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 the tremendous amount of toxins that are really dangerous to the body are eliminated in urine. So, again, that's why if somebody has kidney failure, man, we got to get them on dialysis quicker. They're dead. So, by taking herbs, and again, instead of like taking them for the condition, by including herbs in part of our day, as part of our daily use, or frequently using them that, that have a diuretic action, it's not about increasing the flow of urine so much as ensuring that it's at a healthy level. Right? Because we have to have a healthy flow of urine to remain detoxified properly. And that's why we have to remain sufficiently hydrated so there's enough water there to do the job. And uh, we have to you know, continuously go to make sure it happens, right? And it's something we don't think about. It's something we're very passionate about because think about it. We don't have to think, oh, I'm going to urinate now so that I can eliminate toxins. You get an urge, you go, it happens. Bodies are made that way. But we don't think about, is this is this a healthy... Am I, am I leaving anything behind? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Well, there's certain herbs that will, will improve that. Here's, you know, again, some stuff that we can use that will do that. Hibiscus flower. Um, that was one that Keith Snow wanted me to make sure I got in somewhere, so I did. Uh, hibiscus is a great flower for making tea. It's a wonderful tea. Uh, very pretty flower to grow. And it has a diuretic effect and some, you know, other great effects as well. Lovage. What is lovage? Lovage is an herb that kind of looks Sort of like celery without the big thick stalks. Has a very celery-like flavor. People that have a real hard time growing celery can generally grow lovage, and it can stand in for celery and soups and stews and any place where you don't want 
you know, you don't really need big, thick chunks uh, of celery. You know, you want celery sticks or nice chopped celery for a stew or something. It's not going to work real well for that. But if you want good celery flavoring, uh, fresh, you can use lovage. And it, it has that mild celery flavor. And it has a diuretic effect. Black pepper. I mean, how simple is that? Um, instead of using, you know, this old, tired, uh, pre-ground black pepper that's low in flavor and doesn't really add much to our food, we get a good quality pepper mill, good quality black peppercorns, and we use nice cracked black pepper um, on our food, and all of a sudden we're getting a diuretic effect, so we're doing a healthier uh, job of eliminating toxins through our body through urination. But, you know, we just talked about a diaphoretic, increasing our perspiration. Uh, and, and eliminating toxins through the skin. Well, black pepper does that too. Again, I want you to just start to realize how many of these things intermesh and have multiple actions, and they're very gentle, very mild actions. They're not the acute responses of modern medicine. They're a much gentler maintenance type of action. Here's another one. You, you, you'll probably know this one, lymphatic. Probably be able to figure that one out, the lymphatic uh, action of herbs. Well, the lymph system, you know, whenever you hear somebody has cancer, the first thing they say is, oh God, I hope it hasn't sp spread to the lymph system. Once we have cancer metastasizing to the lymph system, uh, it's really a bad prognosis for the patient. It makes it easy for the cancer to spread to other parts of the body. That's why lymphoma is basically cancer of the lymphs. I mean, that's, that's a terrible diagnosis. It's, uh, it's one of the worst diagnoses you could get. Well, why? I mean, what is the lymph system? Why is it so critical uh, to the human being, you know, our human condition? We generally don't think about our lymphatic system very much. Some people like, aren't even aware that we have one. They don't really get what it is. You don't hear of somebody getting their lymph node cut and having lymph fluid, you know, leak out and they're, like you bleed to death. You don't lymph uh, fluid to death, right? So what is what is the lymph system? Well, it has a few functions, and again, I'm not a doctor. I'm going to do my best to explain this. Um, one of the chief things it does and why it's so critical is the lymph system is basically a, a series of conduits that move throughout the body with a clear, you know, clear fluid. And that clear fluid is called lymph and it moves toward the heart. And, uh, but it had, but it goes through all parts of the body. And again, the functions, the first thing that the big one is it transports immune cells to and from the lymph nodes, uh, in, in, into the bones. So it basically gets your immune cells into, as I understand it anyway, into your bone marrow. You know, you always hear people that like have an immunocompromised immune system might need a bone marrow transplant because the bone marrow is such a big part of our immune system. So if we have, you know, a cancer of the lymphatic system, man, we're shutting down our immune capabilities. That's one of the big problems, uh, that, that we have to deal with there. Another thing it does, it is absorbs and it transports fatty acids uh, and fats uh, into to, to the circulatory system. This is a very important bodily function. It also helps to trans, uh, transport something called antigen-presenting cells, or APCs. And, and basically what they do, again, is another immune uh, uh, system uh, function. It, it, it takes those APCs to the lymph nodes themselves and that helps to stimulate immune response. So the lymph system it does a lot of things, but the primary one that we, we think of and one of the things we want to support is immunoresponse. So if we have an herb that is a, a good um, 
something that, that acts as a lymphatic herb and supports the health and activity of the lymphatic system, that means we're definitely helping to increase the body's ability to fight disease and supporting the one of the least thought of but most important systems of the body, a system we simply cannot live without. So what are some herbs that can help support the lymphatic system? One, you got to kind of, you know, you, you can take too much of this stuff uh, and use too much of it, but it can also be used as a food. It has to be moderated is red clover. Red clover is a great lymphatic support herb. Uh, echinacea is another. and But with, with echinacea, when you're talking about lymphatic system, we're talking about using the root of the echinacea plant. Uh, not necessarily the, the, the top part, the flowers or the leaves, but the root of echinacea has lymphatic action in it. And then here's another one we've talked about so many times. This has so many great purposes, and it's a, it's a food, so it's a very safe thing to use. Planted. Uh, you know, plant, uh, Plantago uh, Major is, is the uh, Latin name of it. It's in most lawns in America. People are trying to eradicate it. It helps heal wounds. It does so many great things for us. It tastes good. We can use it as a potter. We can use it in a salad. We can chop some of it up in a stir fry. We can use the seeds. Well, it also has a, a great uh, effect in, in supporting the lymphatic system. Uh, the next one is uh, one that I actually don't really know much about. I, I just basically learned what I know about it uh, from doing the research for today's show. Uh, and that one is called a, again, I apologize if I don't get the pronunciation exactly right, but rubefacient. Rubefacient or rubefacient. Um, rubefacient is uh, something that generates a localized increase in blood flow when applied to the skin. And they often do this to, to warm the skin and ease pain and swelling of joints. And I mean, it would be the same act. If you take your your left forearm right in front of you, and you take your right hand, and you smack yourself a few times in a localized area, uh, not hard enough to really hurt yourself, but enough to make it sting a little bit, uh, and, you, and you wait a few seconds and you feel the area, you'll get a little localized warming and a little bit of redness. And it's that's because your body has increased the flow of blood to that area. And whenever we increase the, the, the blood flow to an area, we're bringing more oxygen and nutrients to it. We can aid and speed healing. Uh, we can we can reduce pain. And it's it's why it's a pain response. It's why when you smack something uh, and, and you, you've induced pain, the blood flows there helps to relieve the pain. And there's certain um, herbs that we can use to do the same thing. And we might use them if we have swollen or stiff joints. Uh, there might be other reasons that we might want to do that, but this is a big one, is, uh, again, pain and swelling of the joints. These are generally used as, as oils. So three herb oils that we can use as a topical to help with pain and swelling in our joints would be things like peppermint, spearmint, or pine. Again, as oil. And many herb oils will do the same thing. Actually, things like oil from basil, It has this rubefacient action. And uh, if you think about something like Icy Hot, you know, um, or, or uh, Ben Gay or something like that, uh, they use menthol, uh, you know, the menthol crystals. Uh, and that has that cooling feeling. Well, where do you get that from? Well, you get it from, from mint. So peppermint oil kind of has a similar action to it. And, and there's a lot of things like that. 
um, that, that will help you uh, with, with this particular issue uh, if you have to deal with it. And if you think about it, most of your things like Bengays or your liniments and things that are for achy, sore muscles and joints, they're going to have a very minty smell and they're going to have things in them like, again, menthol crystals or, or, or peppermint oil or both. Uh, birch oil, calendula, I mean, a lot of these things that we've already talked about have these actions as well. But I guess the important thing to understand is, is not just, again, this is not a show about for this problem use this herb. It's about understanding the action. And that when you have these, this painful swelling in your joints, one of the things that you're looking to do is increase the blood flow to the area. And, and warm the skin, and that is something that will ease the pain. And why is it important that we know that? Because then we can do additional things. Like we know that, well, if if if, if warming the skin is going to help, and if that's going to also increase blood flow, then a good hot, warm bath is good for our sore joints. And it, then it's not, well, it, duh, everybody knows that. Why do you think you get in a hot tub when you're sore? That's fine, but now we actually understand why. When we start to understand why, we can also understand things that we need to avoid. Well, if having our joints nice and warm and, and having good blood flow to them will help if we have pain in our joints, then we want to avoid activities where we're overly chilled uh, or that we reduce our blood flow. So if we're having knee pain and it causes us to stay off our feet and we stay in a chair and we're sitting in a chair and the chair is constantly hitting us in the back of the legs, slowing the flow of blood into our lower extremities, into our knees and our ankles, Even though we're staying off our feet, we're getting more pain. We're not, we're not going back uh, toward health. We're actually increasing the problem. And now that we know that that painful, swollen joint needs warmth and it needs blood flow to repair itself, then we know the last thing we want to do is completely immobilize the joint. And we also know that the last thing we want to do is put pressure on the extremity above the joint because then we're going to reduce blood flow. And then we start to understand why we get up at the end of the day and we stretch and our back is sore and our legs are sore and our feet are sore and our ankles are sore and you haven't done anything today. That's why they're sore. You've had reduced blood flow. So again, with all of these actions, we can start to deconstruct that And we start to think a little bit deeper and we start to understand not only what we need to do to improve the situation, but we, what we need to do to avoid exasperating it. And that brings us to our last one today, um, which is uh, steptic. Uh, and, and this is, a, if you've ever heard of a steptic pencil, uh, an easy one to know, an easy one to understand. And this is really import, an important herbal action to know and to get to know some herbs Uh, that, that have this action because what styptic means is it reduces or stops external bleeding by an astringent action. It's astringent, I'm not sure if we've done that one already, but an astringent causes the muscles and the tissue in the area to contract. If you eat something that's astringent, your, your mouth puckers. Right, so an astringent topical action would be something that causes the muscles to kind of pucker like that. So if we cause that to happen, we increase blood clotting and we reduce blood flow from a wound. So if we have a, a, a wound that continuously is bleeding, now these things are not like uh, quick clot, where they're gonna, you know, that's, they're gonna really stop heavy bleeding quickly for you, uh, like you know, quick clot, which is something we need to have in our medical kits. But that slow oozing bleeding wound that's having trouble healing and, and it's having trouble stopping its bleeding, uh, and not always should we stop that bleed. Sometimes that bleed's necessary to clean things out, but sometimes we want to stop that bleed. And some things we can use to do that 
are plantain and blackberry. I mean, did you know that blackberry could help stop bleeding? That had an astringent styptic uh, action? And we can use just a little bit of crumbled up blackberry, uh, mashed up blackberry leaf, uh, mashed up into like a paste, especially with a little bit of plant mixed together. And if we have that and we happen to nick ourselves shaving, because we're shaving with a straight razor maybe because shit's hit the fan and that electric razor that you're so happy to use right now doesn't work anymore, a little bit of that on the cut will actually stop it, just like a styptic pencil will uh, from bleeding. Not quite as quickly and effectively, but pretty fast. Another thing that works for this is St. John's wort, but you need the oil uh, to have that steptic action. There's not really enough uh, steptic action that if you use St. John's wort leaf, uh, you're going to get the same response. So there you go, steptic. So again, I just wanted to you know, kind of move along with this series and really get you thinking more about the actions of the herbs than the individual herbs themselves. Please make sure if you're taking and using any of these herbs for any medicinal reasons, you're consulting with a professional, you're at least consulting with a good herbal guide. Again, I've got some great ones linked up in today's show notes. Definitely, if you're on any kind of a medication, you need to check for interactions. And if you are a pregnant woman, you definitely need to check. There's certain things that you should not take when you're pregnant. A perfect example. A great source of um, all the other great things that it does for you that we've talked about when we've mentioned pine before. Uh, but it's also a great source of vitamin C and nutrition and flavor if you're out in the wilderness would be pine tea take some fresh pine needles boil them in some water drink that tea that's a real bad idea for a pregnant woman it it really is but for everybody else not really much to worry about there Uh, again though you always have to check with a proper guide or a professional i'm not a doctor i want you to understand this folks when i talk about herbals i'm at the limit of my capability We're going out to an area where I do not profess to be an expert as as an herbal person. I have a good, broad, general knowledge of herbals. I'm trying to pass that along to you so that you know the questions to ask, so that you know the research to do, so that you can get a book uh, like the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook, one that I so highly recommend. And you can use it and you can learn to do things like make your own tinctures. Uh, and if you follow these good guides, you're not going to put yourself at risk. You're going to see warnings in them that say, hey, don't use these things. Don't use yarrow when you're pregnant or, or what have you. Um, so you got to rely on those good quality guides by the experts to do this stuff right. Again, the show, when I go into herbs, is to make you aware of how many things that we're just walking by every day and all the wonderful things that we can do. So we're now 75% done with, with the series. We'll do the last 10 herbal actions next week, probably on Wednesday again. Uh, and with that, I am ready to wrap up. Again, I'm up at the bug out location right now. Talking to you from the past, you know, I did this in advance to make sure you would have a show. Uh, but make sure that you, you know, take these ones to heart. This is going to be four that you're going to want to make sure you keep on your iPod or your MP3 player. What listen to often? Keep drilling them home. Keep listening to them over and over again until you get where you can you can look at an herb and you can think, okay, if it has these five actions, this is what it does. Or you can see a malady or a problem, something that's chronic, and maybe you rely on a medical professional to treat it. But for your ongoing maintenance, you say, well, I need herbs that do these following things because these actions counteract this issue. And and that's how we start to take ourselves to higher learning and self-educate ourselves where we can be uh, co-practitioners with our medical professionals. Remember what I told you in the last episode. What is doctor? What does the word actually mean? It's supposed to mean teacher. We're going back to Hippocrates here, folks, where he said patient 
heal thyself. And it was the role of the physician to work with the patient on their own healing rather than to prescribe them a drug or cutting them as a surgeon and saying, now you're completely healed on, you know, I've done it for you. It was a co-healing process. And if you're going to be part of your own healing and your own health uh, preservation, you need to get educated. Doesn't mean that you're going to ever become a master herbalist yourself unless that's a goal for you. But a good, broad, general knowledge is something we can share, we can learn together, we can do safely as long as we rely on good quality reference materials. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you.